0: Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He, leads, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege to come to you this morning. And this psalm is such a familiar psalm to us. And yet we know even your name, Jehovah-Ra, means the Lord is my shepherd. And we could just stop right on, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because, Lord, you give us all things, everything that we need, especially during these times. And I love what Isaiah 40 says. Like a shepherd, you will tend your flock, and in your arms, you will gather your lambs. And Father, I really feel like during these times, you are gathering us back to you. We are turning our eyes back to you. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you will give Pastor Steve the words that we need to hear from this familiar psalm, but it's so rich with your um, love for us, your care for us, and your comfort for us. So, Father, we come before you, and we just thank you for the promises of your word, and we thank you that we can still come together as a church family in this virtual way to um, just hear from you and to love on one another. We thank you for all of this in your name. Amen.
1: Well, good morning, Highlands family and friends. I invite you to open your scriptures to Psalm 23. This begins a new series for us as we move into the summer. It's hard to believe this is the first Sunday in May. Uh, we're going to be studying Psalms. Last summer we ended on Psalm 22. And so we're going to pick up at probably one of the most beloved Psalms in our Scriptures, Psalm 23. Have you ever found yourself in a situation you were not expecting? of course you have you're in one right now Uh, but not just one you're not just in self-isolation or social distancing uh, because life is layered it's complex it's like a, a chain reaction or a domino effect unexpected situations build on unexpected situations and unexpected situations introduce new unexpected situations for example Social distancing leads to isolation, which leads to loneliness, which can lead then to depression and despair. School cancellations lead to unexpected schedules, long days at home, where many parents are now homeschooling, who had never thought in their life they would ever homeschool and certainly weren't even planning this in January of this year. Restrictions because of the virus lead to closed businesses, Lowered income, and for some, the loss of their job. We're never just facing one set of challenges. The unexpected introduces more unexpected, and sometimes that changes not only by the day, but by the minute. I'm in several situations right now that I did not expect this time last year. I've been called to pastor in ways I was not expecting, it was not part of sort of our vision for the year, our ministry vision. Uh, It did not include live streaming or podcasting, yet that's where we're at. Unexpected situations introduce new unexpected situations. And each situation, each change, each dynamic of that situation holds potential for either value and joy, but it can also introduce and pose the threat of danger and sorrow. And so the universal appeal and familiarity of Psalm 23 lies in its comfort that it provides in these kinds of situations, when we are experiencing the varied contours of life. Many people go right to Psalm 23. Many funerals will make sure this psalm is at least read as people are grieving the loss of a loved one. And the reason is, it, in six short verses, introduces the varied contours of life with its green pastures and still waters, but also its deep Dark valleys. When you are confronted with the unexpected or the overwhelming or a sorrow like you've never experienced before, this is what Psalm 23 reminds you. There is a shepherd who is near, who sees you, who knows you, and who cares. Who better to write a psalm about shepherding than David? It's interesting what Psalm 78 says because. Because David, as a shepherd of sheep, was taken from the sheepfolds to then shepherd God's people, Israel. Psalm 78, verses 70 to 71 says this. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. From shepherding sheep to shepherding people. Shepherding was not simply a beautiful metaphor for David, but something he had life experience with. Matter of fact, it was David who seemed like he was going to be overlooked because he was out shepherding sheep. The godly prophet Samuel was sent by God to anoint Israel's second king. And as soon as Samuel, a godly prophet, saw Eliab, he said this, he actually thought this in 1 Samuel 16, 6. He sees his external appearance, his physique, and he says... Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But Samuel was wrong. And you know, even godly men are prone to misjudge at times. God had to intervene, even with his godly prophet, and tell Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, Do not look on his appearance. Do not look on Eliab's appearance or on the height of his stature. And the reason is God's estimation of an individual takes into account what very few people are willing to see. What's impossible for some men to see because they are they are so involved with the surface material aspects of who we are. God says this, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Behold, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And guess where David was when he was almost overlooked, while well, all seven of his brothers were presented to Samuel and evaluated, and Samuel had to systematically say, "No, it's not him, no, it's not him, no, it's not him." Even Jesse, his own father, almost overlooked David. First Samuel 16:11, Samuel says to Jesse, "Are all your sons here?" And Jesse said, "There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep." And Samuel said to Jesse. Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. Of course, as the story unfolds, David is chosen. He is anointed as the next king of Israel. You know, it was David who presented his shepherding heart and skill to Saul as proof that he was ready to fight Goliath. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 31, it says, When the words that David spoke were heard, they were brought and repeated before Saul, and Saul sent for David. And David said to Saul, this is David talking to the king. Let no man's heart fail because of him, because of this giant. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistines. Verse 33. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. Very much like the Spartans who were bred simply to be warriors. But David said to Saul, listen to his argument, listen to his appeal to the king. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. Now we're thinking, oh, okay, you're ready to go fight a giant because you kept little fuzzy creatures in a field, right? Sure, go fight this Spartan champion. No, David continues, listen to what he says. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, picture that. Lion comes rushing out of the bush, grabs one of the sheep and starts to rip it away. David says this, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. Of course, David could have simply surrendered and let the lion take what it wanted. And if he arose against me, the lion or the bear, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both. Listen to the plural, both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Who better to write this short psalm on shepherding than David, who was a shepherd warrior. This really talks about our confidence, absolute confidence in God. And depending, as we depend on His protective care. That's what sheep do. Sheep depend on a shepherd. So this is what Psalm 23 invites us to do this morning. It invites us into contentment and satisfaction. It invites us into security and trust. And invites us into a life that is walked by faith with a confident expectation, which is hope. This short psalm, we'll look at it in two parts. Number one, the Lord as shepherd... And what that communicates is provision and protection. We'll see that in verses one through four. And then, secondly, the Lord as host. It's no longer, we're no longer in the pastures, but there is a table. So, the Lord as host, which communicates divine care and companionship. So, first, the Lord as shepherd. The psalm opens not not with a statement, but with an exclamation. Look at verse one. The Lord is, and now personalize it. My shepherd. You see, David knew what a good shepherd was. He also knew what a hired hand would do. A hired hand would not go and deliver a sheep out of the lion's paws. The remaining verses in this psalm are simply an explanation, or we would say an exposition or an amplification of this truth. The Lord is my shepherd. And so what will happen then in the first four verses is you have this extended metaphor not simply to instruct us about how to raise sheep, but to remind us of God's care and His protection. You see, this, this metaphor was used before. It's not original with David. It really associates this psalm with the exodus from Egypt as well as the Hebrews' wilderness wanderings. The Lord is my shepherd, meaning this, God's previous or historical demonstrations of His mercy, the examples of His steadfast love, Can be claimed personally. He is my shepherd. You know, even before enslavement in Egypt, Jacob could say this in Genesis 48, verse 15. He says, The God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been, here's the metaphor, my shepherd all my life long to this day. It was a loaded metaphor that was already been, already had been in use by the patriarchs. Isaiah, in his prophecy, uh, referencing the coming Messiah, said this in Isaiah 40, verse 11. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. This is how you'll recognize him. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with her young. Is God your shepherd this morning? Can you get through the first part of verse 1 and say this? The Lord is my shepherd. Is He your shepherd, Savior? Now, if He is, notice the implications. Notice the results of that profession, if it's true. He says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. As a young boy, that always confused me because it sounded like we're saying He's my shepherd and then I don't want my shepherd, right? The Lord is my shepherd, then I shall not want. And it, it never made sense to me Until you start to understand that the word want means to fail. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not fail or I will not be lessened or I will not experience decrease as he is my shepherd. So the focus is not so much on desiring something, even though that's communicated in other Psalms. The focus is lacking something that is necessary. He is my shepherd. Therefore, I will be in need of nothing. This is a confession That God will provide what is needed. Now, the background of this, because of the idea is provision and that God sees he's close enough to his sheep to see their needs and provide for them. The background probably comes from the time when Abraham was called to take Isaac up as a sacrifice in Genesis 22, beginning in verse seven. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father and Abraham said, here I am, my son. Isaac said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both of them went together. A few verses later in verse 14. So Abraham called the name of that place. Of course, what happens and unfolds in between these, these verses is that God providentially, supernaturally provides a ram caught in the thicket. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. What God is doing already in this first book of the Bible, in Genesis 22, He's already revealing to us His character. And He's doing that through His names and His actions. He says, The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The Lord is my shepherd. He will provide for me or I shall not want, or I will face no need. So generally, this means the Lord sees and provides what is necessary, but specifically, it can also recount God's provision for His people in the wilderness. After they had been rescued from slavery out of Egypt, Moses could remind them in Deuteronomy 2, verse 7, For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. Now listen to what he says. You have lacked nothing. Even in the wilderness, Moses could remind them that they lacked nothing. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in verse 7, he says, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, Flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, and, and a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. It really is this, this picture of a heaven that we are so yearning to and pilgrims and strangers moving towards. And then, and then Moses says this, He's leading you to this land in which you will lack nothing a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. So even in the wilderness, can you say this? I shall not want. I will be satisfied because the Lord is my shepherd. Even when in a dark place, I shall not want, even when you've left Egypt and you're complaining about going back to Egypt, the only home some of those people had ever known, and you're wandering in desert, desert places, can you say, I shall not want, even when you don't understand what is unfolding before your eyes, can you say, the Lord is my shepherd, I have no need Even when we are social distancing and we can't gather and you're at risk of losing your job or maybe you've already lost your job or you're fearing being exposed to a deadly virus or your family suffering the virus. Can you say the Lord is my shepherd? I shall not want. The psalmist now moves to recognize two particular aspects of the needs of believers in every age, and that is food and rest and pasture and quietness. Look at verse two. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Sheep lie down when they are satisfied and safe, when they are content and cared for. See, this is further evidence that the sheep near this particular shepherd, the Lord, are well cared for and well provided for. They lie down and they lie down in pleasant, Pastors, in Exodus, Moses will say in Exodus 15, verse 13, you have led, okay, that's that idea of he leads me beside still waters, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength. And of course, a good shepherd is always guiding to a particular destination. And Moses says you have guided them by your strength to your holy abode or to your sacred home. Our shepherd, even through the difficulties, is leading us somewhere. Look at verse 3. He restores my soul. That means that that on this journey, there will be times that are exhausting and long and trying, but the shepherd provides restoration. Though Though the path moves through the wilderness, though it moves through dangerous places, though it has to go through areas which we would define as the darkness of the shadow of death. He is leading and He is restoring our soul. Look at, look at the latter part of verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness. These are right ways as opposed to crooked paths or false paths. He leads in right ways, direct paths that bring the sheep not only the, to the proper destination, but through one of the safest passages possible because the shepherd knows what's ahead. He already knows where the steep cliffs are. He knows where the predators probably live. And he's got his eye out for poisonous reptiles. And he takes the straight way, even when that leads through death's dark valley. And he does it. Look at verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Which means he will lead you in ways that reveal and confirm his character. Just like he led Abraham through the difficult task of taking his son up on the mountain, and he was, prov- he was proving to Abraham that he is a shepherd who provides. This moves us to verse 4, which reminds us that even though our life will have green pastures and still waters, and though he restores and leads down right paths, there will also be valleys and dark shadows. Look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That term, valley of the shadow of death, refers to a very deep or very dark shadow. Or total darkness. Areas, and David would have known this, areas down in the ravines where where the dry riverbeds or or the wadis would would, would, would cut through and sometimes it is so deep and narrow that the sun could rise and set without ever illumining the depths of those ravines. And what David is doing is is comparing that darkness and that danger to death. And and note this, it's not just in the valley. Look at verse 4. Even though I walk, what's the next word? Not in the valley of the shadow of death, but through the valley. It's not just the permanency of death that David has in sight here, but he's, he's, he's moving as a shepherd. He knew as a shepherd, he would move his sheep. Sometimes they would have to go into the deep shadows, but he would bring them through where slippery places and dangerous animals lived. He would bring them through that. Either way, greener pastures on this side of eternity or eternal, delightful pastures on the other side of eternity, the good shepherd will bring us Through the valley of the shadow of death. It's in this sense that the valley that David refers to may be literal. As in Jeremiah 2.6. Listen to what Jeremiah says. Who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through where no man dwells. To the literal Darkness. Our life right now, this week, will probably have contours of darkness. It will bring in the shades of death. We'll remember that we are fallen individuals. We'll remember that we still live in this body of sin. In that sense, it's literal. The valley may also be figurative since we are dealing with Old Testament poetry. As in Job, another Old Testament wisdom book, Job 10, verse 20. Listen to how Job describes death. Are not my days few? Then cease. And leave me alone, that I may find a little cheer before I go, and I shall not return to the land of darkness and deep shadow, the land of gloom like thick darkness, like deep shadow without any order, where light is as thick as darkness. Job was not only in a literal darkness as he suffered, but it also was preparing him as he anticipated a figurative darkness, which is literal death. What is the confidence David has as he walks through this dark valley? Well, it's the close protection and direction of his shepherd. And specifically, his rod and his staff. Look at verse 4. And by the way, this may refer to two different instruments, but it may also refer to the single crook that was used in two different ways. Verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Why? For you are with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I, sh- I shall not be in need of anything. You are with me. And then David says this, as a shepherd would, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod, probably a different kind of weapon, like a club or a mace, if you're familiar with that, was used in defense for close attack to fend off wild beasts and predators. And then the staff, which was typically used for guidance and support, but could also be used as a weapon. Uh, in 2 Samuel 23, listen to this. Uh, in verse 20. And Beniah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Kabzeel, a doer of great deeds. And he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but listen to what Beniah had. But Beniah went down to him to fight him with a staff. A shepherd's staff. And with that staff, he snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. What David is saying is God is fully equipped to protect him. Your rod and your staff. The staff would also be what would guide the sheep. As, as the sheep would come in and he would direct them. Sometimes if they had fallen into a dangerous area that he couldn't reach, he would take that staff and pull them back close to himself. He would count the sheep. He would closely examine the condition of the sheep as he would guide them with his staff. Therefore, when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, both figuratively in this life, literally as this life ends, we, don't, we do not have to fear evil. For God is with us, but the, sh- the shepherd is near. Now the path moves into the second section, which is not the Lord as shepherd, but the Lord as host. Look at verse five. You prepare a table before me. See, sheep, sheep don't sit at tables, so something more is intended here. The metaphor seems to change to to climax into a specific point David wants to make at the end of this psalm. Look at verse five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. One man translates it this way. You are my host, spreading a feast for me while my enemies have to look on. In Psalm 78, it says that the, the Hebrews asked a question as they moved into the wilderness. I want you to hear this. They spoke against God, saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? Of course, that question was spawned from fear. That question led them to unbelief. It led them to accusation. And guess what God did? That's exactly what God did. God spread for them in the wilderness a table and he did it in a way that only he could do it. He sent down bread from heaven, manna. Jesus did the same thing when he fed the 5,000 in Mark chapter six, verse 41. Scripture says this and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven And set a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. Listen to verse 42. And they all ate, interestingly, 5,000 men. It seems that Jesus is organizing them in military groups. Partly because they wanted Jesus to be their king, to lead them in insurrection against Rome down into Jerusalem. And so Jesus in that way is probably letting them know their intentions looks to them, does this miracle to show, that, to show them he is a different kind of king. But verse 42, and they all ate and were satisfied. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. What we have here is the picture of a generous and powerful host. And what it does is it provides a glimpse of a banquet that we will enjoy with Jesus. Matter of fact, after he introduced at the Passover what we call the Lord's Supper or Communion, he said that he would not lift that wine to his lips until he shared it with us in his kingdom. So what we're doing is we are living, whether it's green pastures or the darkness of Death Valley, we are living in anticipation of a banquet with our king, with our good Shepherd. The anointed head, the overflowing cup, both pictures are associated with blessing. And I think, of the, I think of the second stanza and chorus from a hymn that we often sing when we celebrate communion together, the hymn, Jesus, Thank You. Listen to these words. By your perfect sacrifice, I've been brought near. Your enemy, you've made your friend. Pouring out the riches of your glorious grace, your mercy and your kindness know no end. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Now listen to, this, listen to this line. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. It's the anticipation of a banquet as we live here as pilgrims and strangers walking by faith, but with a confident expectation that because he is our shepherd, and when he leads us through that final breath in this life and it, and it is a literal valley of the shadow of death, we will be introduced to a banquet with our good shepherd. David completes this short psalm with this exclamation. Look at verse six. Surely you can almost hear it and after after just five short verses. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? Forever. See, David often knew this truth, that enemies had followed him. Enemies were pursuing him, maybe even as he penned this psalm. Enemies meant to harm him and they were tracking him down. But as he interprets God's providences rightly and graciously, he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, pursue me all the days of my life. See, David knew he would reach an eternal pasture land where green Fields and still waters exist without any predators or any dark shadows. Do you know that Jesus is the only shepherd who knew what it was like to be both a sheep and a shepherd? And not just a sheep, but a sacrificial lamb. A sheep that would die so that other people could become sheep. In John 10 verse 11, he says this, I am the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I I will not have need of anything. Jesus says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus understands where he's leading you. He understands where and how he's leading me. And he is with us every step of the way. He is close. He sees. He provides. He protects. And he's willing to be with us every step of the way, even through death itself. And we know he could have prevented it because we see him raise Lazarus from the dead. But we must, by necessity, go through death until we are with our shepherd forever. Revelation 7:17 7, says this, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. It's interesting, the lamb is now the shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water. This is eternal delight. I will, be, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Is the Lord your shepherd? Perhaps this morning Jesus is only a sovereign judge to you. Do you know that that relationship can change this morning? God has done everything that needs to be done to make you one of His sheep. He has provided His Son Our great shepherd as a lamb, as a sacrificial lamb who died to take away the sin of the world. That's exactly what John the Baptist said. Behold, the Lamb of God. Yes, he's our good shepherd, but he's also the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Is he your good shepherd? Would you call out to him this morning as your shepherd savior who died so that you do not have to die eternally? I'm going to invite our music team forward. They're going to sing for us a new song, After I Pray. And it will serve as our hymn of response. It's entitled, Come to the Altar. It's it's, it's a perfect invitation hymn. And I want you to listen to these words. If you're not sure that Jesus is your shepherd, listen to this invitation. Because in a sense, when it says, the Father's arms are open wide, that's what a good shepherd does. He invites you into His fold. He invites you into His flock. But you have to remember this, as John 14:6 says, Jesus, the good shepherd, the sacrificial lamb, said that He is the way, the truth, the life. No one goes unto the Father except through Him. I'm going to read Psalm 23, then I'm going to pray, and then we will sing. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows, He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to His name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for You are close beside me. Your rod and Your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely Your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray.